Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week, we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. My message this morning is called Seeing and Believing. You've, you've heard people say, uh, seeing is believing. And uh, how many of you, anybody here from Missouri this morning? Nobody? All right, right here. Missouri, the show me state. In other words, I'll believe it whenever I see it. And that's how we tend to live our lives, that we don't want to take things uh, by faith. And one of, the, one of the elements, one of the key essentials of the Christian faith is sometimes we've got to believe some things that we don't necessarily get to see. And even with the disciples, you remember whenever Thomas was, uh, he was a little bit late getting to the party, and uh, the disciples were telling him, we've seen the risen Christ, we've seen him here. And Thomas says, I'll believe it when I see it. Whenever I get to thrust my hand into his side or push my uh, finger through his nail prints on his hand, then I'll believe. And uh, everybody in the room is going like, <clears throat> he's, he's standing behind you. And uh, Thomas falls down on his knees and said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus told him, said, you are blessed because you have seen and now you believe. But more blessed are they who don't see and yet believe. And guess who he was talking about? All of us. Amen. And so sometimes what we, it's a good thing to be able to see what we believe. And so we have a, a little instance. I'm not going to talk so much about the resurrection this morning, but the day of the resurrection. And basically what had happened was Jesus had been buried and all the disciples were kind of scratching their head. What, what do we do now? What's going on? We believed in all this kind of thing. Some of them believed that he would come and free them from Roman oppression. Some of them believed that he would restore uh, things to Israel and that Israel would, would reign over the Roman Empire. And all these kinds of different things were going on. And truly, none of them totally understood everything that was going on. But there were a couple of disciples that took off uh, kind of on a day trip. Uh, and they were headed to Emmaus. And so we're going to take up in Luke chapter 24, and they're going to have it on the screen for you. So it says that same day, talking about the day of the resurrection, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. So little little day trip. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had just happened. And they talked and discussed these things, and Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. The only thing was, they didn't recognize him. Have you ever uh, uh, seen somebody, and maybe you haven't seen them in a long time, and you just didn't recognize them? How many of you ever went to your uh, class reunion, and it's like, who are you? And, well, I went to school with you for 12 years, <laughs> and they tell you their name. It's like, oh, yeah, now I see. Well, here's Jesus walking with them, but yet God caused them not to be able to see. And there's a purpose to this. In fact, is there are people in this day and time that suffer from a disease. It's called prosopagnosia. I'm, I'm sure some of you were talking about that on your way here this morning. But prosopagnosia, more literally, is facial blindness. 
It's the inability to recognize someone. Uh, my wife and I have laughed about this. She can watch a television show and not recognize an actor that played in another program that we watched. For me, it ruins it because I saw him play the other role, so I know that they're not that. And uh, every, there are quite a few, about 50 million people today that suffer in some varying form of prosopagnosia. Maybe it's that they just don't recognize people readily. All the way to there is a small segment of the population that if you showed them a picture of Elvis or you showed them a picture of Kim Kardashian, they wouldn't really be able to distinguish between them. They see, they're not blind, they see, they see ears and eyes and nose and all that kind of stuff, but it just doesn't fit together in a form that their brain can comprehend and identify. And so here is this couple of guys couple of disciples walking along and they did not recognize that it was Jesus. Sometimes we look at it and say, how on earth could you not recognize Jesus? You just spent three and a half years with him. But God caused them not to see, gave them a, a small dose of prosopagnosia. And so he asked them, talking about Jesus, what are you talking about? What are you discussing so intently? And they stopped short and you could see the sadness come over their face. And they said, you surely must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about what's happened in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and of all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leader handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. And these, these, uh, this all happened three days ago. And then some of the women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said, he's alive! He's alive! Can you believe it? Yeah, thank you. You got one amen on that one. <laughs> so some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone. We don't really know, understand what's happened and all this kind of stuff. And so he said it was just as the women had said. Then Jesus said, you foolish people. That, that should have rung their bell right there. You find it so hard to believe, in other words, the things that you haven't seen, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the Scriptures wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took some of them uh, through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining all the scriptures, and realized that they're not realizing it's Jesus at this time. But this guy is explaining it all to them. And by this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going to go on a little bit. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting so late. And he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, so here they are, meal prepared. They sat down to supper with him. And they broke some bread and blessed it. And he gave it to them. Bong. He rung their bell. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, here's the thing. In that day and time, and even still to some extent in, in this day and time, that part of the world 
if you sit down to eat with somebody, it's a sign of acceptance. It's a sign of welcome. It's a sign of, hey, come on in and partake. Whenever I, several years ago, got an opportunity to go to uh, do the tour of the seven churches of Revelation, and uh, they had what they called roadhouses. Not, no, not that. <laughs> Over there, what they call a roadhouse is simply a little restaurant with a buffet. And they're all along the way. They sell gas, they sell food, they sell desserts and all that kind of stuff. And so we had stopped at a roadhouse as, as a part of this tour. And so our Turkish guide, I was picking his brain. Those of you that know me know that I always want to learn something. So I kind of befriended this guy. And not only uh, was he not a Christian, he was a Muslim. And so I was talking to him about the Lord. All this time, I'd just a little dab of this, a little dab of that. I'd quiz him about things. And so uh, whenever he would take off walking, we'd go see these sites. And, he'd t- and he would, at the end of his little spiel that he'd give at, at each one of these stops, uh, when we were at a, a site, he would just ta- he'd say, now we are walking. And he would just take off. I mean, he was picking them up and putting them down. And that was way before my hip trouble, so I was picking them up and putting them down with him. And we'd get to, these, to the next spot about, gosh, sometimes five minutes before the rest of the crowd would catch up, so I'd get a chance to talk to him. So we were sitting and talking at this restaurant, and we're eating and everything, and he uh, starts talking to the guy next to, at the next table in, in Turkish. So I couldn't understand what he was saying, and that guy motions toward his plate. And so... This Turkish guy, he just pulls up to that table and reaches over and gets a bite of the guy's stuff off of his plate and, and takes some of his drink. And so I said, you know that guy? And he said, no. And most of us would go, well, uh, uh. <laughs> which I thought about it, but I didn't. But it was like, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of welcome. I, I accept you. And so whenever that guy motioned at his plate, if he had not done that, it would have been a, a huge, huge, huge impoliteness in their culture. And so for Jesus to go with them, whenever they said, come and, come and eat supper with us, uh, we're enjoying what you're saying. And Jesus sits down with them and he gives them bread. It's a sign of, hey, everything's going to be all right. You're at my table. And so... This morning, as soon as we get through here, just talking for a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to share his table. And he's already given us the invitation. And guess what? It's just a, a, a really and truly, it's just an invitation to one that's going to happen. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. So they didn't recognize him. And they couldn't see Christ in the person that they were with. They, enjoy, they were enjoying what he was saying, but they, they couldn't see the Christ in them. And Why? Because they were caught up in their own problems. So anyway, let's finish reading the scriptures. They said to each other, didn't, whenever Christ, he appears to them and then he disappears whenever they realize who it is. And they said to each other like, are you believing this? We didn't recognize it. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were back on their way to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 disciples and the others who uh, had gathered with them. And the, they, they went back and told him, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter, and then these two from Emmaus told their story about how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. 
So may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and ministry of his word this morning. But they didn't recognize him. They weren't looking for him. That's the problem. And it's our problem. We go through this life and how seldom do we look for Jesus? We encounter people all the time and yet we never stop. You know, how many of us have taken time? Even this week, there's an instance as I was studying for this and it's like, you know, Doggone it, I missed an opportunity. Uh, uh, There was somebody that was asking for something, and I just walked on by. Why? Because I was busy. I had things to do. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own stuff, our own problems, our own issues, our own day, all the busyness that we put ourselves into that sometimes we don't stop to look at people. And we are certainly not looking for Jesus. So often what we do is we just, we kind of, we kind of judge people on, on the offset about how they look or what they're wearing or all these different kinds of things and we stop looking any further. See, here's the thing. For us, sometimes it's awfully easy. One of the things that is always easy to do is, is take up an offering for foreign missions. But sometimes when we're taking up for shoes for people right here in Beaumont, eh, they can get shoes anywhere. We have shoes everywhere. There's shoes, 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 shoes. And what happens is, the reason being, that sometimes we are very, very judgmental about people we can lay eyes on. We feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I'm going to send money to foreign missions and somebody around the world will get a Bible. What about somebody right here? Well, there's more Bibles in southeast Texas than there is Quakers got oats. Amen. And sometimes we think, well, they can get a Bible anywhere. What it is is that familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. The more we lay eyes on somebody, the more we tend to overlook it. Sometimes the closer you get to somebody, Wayne, if, if I get really close to you, guess what? He, he can begin to see all my warts and lumps and bumps and imperfections. Wayne, I looked really good when I was 20 feet away, didn't I? <laughs> and now, I mean, I get close and he sees I don't have a whole lot of hair and I've got a, a, a little bump right here in the middle of my forehead that bugs me all the time. And I got a little pock right here from back when I was a kid and had acne. Amen. When you get up close to somebody, all of a sudden you get very, very judgmental. Oh, it's, it's easy to say I'm going to help somebody around the world. Somebody that I'll never see this side of heaven. But what about the people that are right here? And see, Jesus was so close that they couldn't, it's it's like the old saying, I couldn't see the forest for all those trees. There was Jesus right with them, and he even began to teach the scriptures just like he did. And they even said to themselves, didn't our hearts burn within us whenever we heard him talking? What is the matter with us? Why didn't we recognize him? because they weren't looking for Jesus. And so what we've got to do is begin to look for Jesus everywhere we go. And Jesus, you know, as he's talking about, about sometimes all the things that we do, he said, he, he gives the illustration, he says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. He's, he's, uh, he's given accommodations for everybody that, 
that, that whenever I was thirsty, you gave me a drink of water. Whenever I was hungry, you fed me. Whenever I was naked and you clothed me, I was, I was a stranger and you took me in. I was in prison and you visited me. Well, when did we do all that for you, Jesus? When you've done it under the least of these. Whenever we help somebody, we're helping Jesus. Whenever we give away a drink of water, in the name of the Lord, guess what? We're doing it to Jesus. So all these things happen, and, 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 and we, we, sometimes we overlook every opportunity we have to be a part of what the Lord's doing. So they couldn't see him. They couldn't see the person that they were with. And we need to open up our eyes and pray for the Lord to give us the spectacles of heaven to be able to see what's going on around us, to love those people. And so, number two, the love was the essential given for recognizing a believer. In, in Leviticus 19, it gives us, that's Old Testament, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Matthew 22 it says that uh, what's the greatest commandment, the Lord was asked. And, they, and Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. On all this hangs all the law and the prophets. In other words, let me get to the dividing line between Old and New Testament. If you want the Reader's Digest condensed version for this part of your Bible, and how many of you love Cliff Notes, this is the Cliff Notes version of this part of your Bible, the biggest part of it right there. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Amen? Wow, that's easy. You learned a lot. You, re- you, got a, you, you got it covered a whole bunch of the Bible right there. And so he said, on that hangs all the law and the prophets that we do that. In John chapter 13, Jesus is preparing to leave this world. And he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have a spire on your church building. Wrong version. Uh, if you have a cross on your, on your church. Wrong version again. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That was the distinguishing factor to know if somebody was a believer, if they have love for each other, if, if they care about one another, if they know what's going on and they don't look past that person, that they can see the Jesus in them that the Jesus in me can see the Jesus in you and love you. Sometimes irregardless of what you're doing, agape love is the part, portion of love that do, it doesn't matter really what you're doing. It's a love that loves because of who a person is. So if we see a fellow believer, we ought to feel something there. Amen? That the Jesus in us loves the Jesus in them. So that's the thing that we've got to do is, is make that our key essential. So that was number two, Caitlin. Number three. <laughs> We're catching up here. All right. So sometimes what we have to do is recognize that, that, that we've, our love has grown cold. That we're not looking for Jesus, we're not doing all those things. Jesus said this, don't just love those that love you. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. How many of you love that one? Yeah, yeah. Somebody that, that's done something against me, somebody that I hate, boy, I just come here, let me stick my finger in your eye. And Jesus said, you've heard that said, 
But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. And for our human psyche, that does not compute. What we do is love to hate, not love those that hate us. In Luke's gospel, chapter 6, this is what, he, what, what Jesus says. And he said, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. Don't curse back. Pray for those that hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer them the other. Whew, that's hard to do. But you know what? Anything the Lord requires of us is not easy. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Well, I ain't going to do that. Are you crazy? I need my coat. Give to anyone that asks you, and when things are taken away, don't try to get them back. And this is verse 31 of this particular scripture. It says, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. See, that changes it all. Why? Because if I took somebody's coat, it would be because I was cold. If I took somebody's food, it would be because I was hungry or my kids were hungry. Oh, that changes everything, doesn't it? See, in the Old Testament, Proverbs, it says, if you catch a thief in the act of stealing, you can make him pay it back seven times over unless he was stealing because he was hungry. See, sometimes we just look at the act and not what was behind it. And so he, uh, Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. And if you love only those that love you, why should you get any credit? Why is he talking about credit? See, this is a test. And, and we need extra credit. Amen? Even sinners love those that love them. And if you do good only those that do good unto you, why should you get any credit? There we go again. Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And that way, if they pay you back, guess what? It's a plus. Everybody wins. Then your reward in heaven will be great, and you will truly be acting like the children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. See, Jesus set this table right here and invited us, said, come be a part when we were unthankful and unholy. And he said, come on. He says, if we do that, we'll be just like our Father in heaven and he's compassionate and we need to be like him. So here's the deal. Sometimes... We got to realize that we see we, we tend to bracket things. One uh, I came across this this weekend. Have you ever noticed that we tend to okay we're driving, and everybody that's driving driving slower than us is a slowpoke, and everybody that's driving faster than us is a lunatic. You ever notice that? And, and it's, it's the same way with, uh, you know, we tend to judge people by income brackets. You know, if, every, if anybody's, you know, making the same thing that I'm making, they're just barely getting by, and everybody else is poor below that, and everybody else is above that. It's either rich or filthy, stinking rich. There's two brackets above. And so what we tend to do is we tend to judge where we're at and say, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm striving. 
I know I do some things wrong, but everybody else that's not doing as good as me, they're a sinner bound for hell. And there's nobody that does any better than me. But Jesus said, I want you to come. Even while we were an enemy to God, he set the table and gave the invitation. There's a story, supposed to be a true story. A little girl grew up in Traverse City, Michigan. Grew up on a cherry orchard. And she was always looking for some place besides where she grew up. Thought it was boring. Thought it was horrible. Her parents were kind of really conservative and didn't understand her short skirts, her nose ring, the music she listened to and all that kind of stuff. And one day after they'd got into it about it, she yells through the door at her dad who's knocking on her door wanting to continue telling her why they don't want her doing all this stuff. She said, I hate you! That night after everybody went to bed, she ran away. She'd been to, to, to Detroit one other time in her life and it was on a church youth trip. She said, that's where I want to be. The big lights, the big city. She ran away, hitched a couple of rides. She's standing on a street corner in Detroit, didn't know anybody there. And up pulls this guy in the biggest car she had ever seen in her life. He says, I'll give you a ride. So she went with him. He gave her some pills that made her feel better than she had ever felt in her life. Showed her a few things that men like. She was 16, so he could get a premium for her. And he starts prostituting her out. She's staying in the penthouse. He's renting it for her. She's, she thinks she's living the high life. Well, within a matter of months, she starts losing weight. She's feeling bad. She, the, the drugs, the, that lifestyle taking its toll. Pretty soon, the guy that was so nice to her turns mean. She's lost so much weight that she's not attractive anymore, and he kicks her out. She's living on her own. She does what she can to get a little bit of cash, just barely managing to support her drug habit, barely getting enough to eat. One cold night, she's looking for a place to stay, and she finds out that the grates in front of the big department stores that, where they're exchanging the air, there's some warmer air coming out of the building, so she's there. She pulls newspapers over, just trying to stay warm. She's shivering. And she says, you know, I just want to go home. All of a sudden, she thought she was a, a woman of the world, and all of a sudden, she's just... Uh, the little child that she is. She says, I wonder if my parents would accept me. I wonder if they'd take me back. She goes to the payphone. This is back in the days before cell phones. She goes to the payphone and she makes three really quick calls. The two, first two get an answering machine. The third time she leaves a message. Mom, Dad, me just wondered if I might be able to come back home 
I'm going to catch the bus. I've got enough money to get a ticket back to Traverse City. It's going to take about seven hours to get there. If you meet me at the station, I'll see you there. If not, I'll just keep riding the bus till they kick me off. That seven-hour ride, all she can do is think of all the stuff she's done wrong. She rehearses over and over again in her mind the things that she's going to say. Dad, I'm so sorry. I've done all kinds of bad stuff. Can you forgive me? Can I come home? She repeats that to herself over and over and over again on that seven-hour ride. Through the many stops that are between Detroit and Traverse City, she keeps going through that. wonder if they'll be there, you know, Maybe, they, maybe they're on a trip. Maybe they didn't even get the message. Maybe, maybe they haven't even checked their answering machine. She runs through all these things in her mind. When she gets to the bus stop, the bus driver calls over the intercom, and he says, Traverse City, we got 15 minutes, 15 minutes here, folks. 15 minutes to decide the rest of her life. She kind of straightens her hair. Rubs the lipstick off her teeth. She walks off the bus, not knowing what she'll find. And there inside this concrete block building, that's the bus stop in that city, she sees a big sign put up, Welcome Home. Inside, about 40 people gathered, Mom, dad, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, aunts. They're all wearing party hats. In the midst of all that, her dad steps out. And she starts through the thing that she had rehearsed over and over and over again. Dad, I'm sorry. I've done all kinds of terrible things. And he put his finger on her lips and he said, hush, child. No time for that. See, we're late to the party. We've set a banquet in your honor. Because God is kind to those who are unthankful and unholy. So he gives the invitation. The prodigal son got a banquet. Peter, after he had turned his back on the Lord and went back to fishing, when he got to shore after he jumped out of the boat, what happened? Jesus had breakfast ready for him. So really and truly, this morning, the invitation for this communion is who's ready to eat. Our deacons are going to come. They're going to serve you this morning. And to everybody that will, Jesus says, come and dine.